This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. If you like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, and welcome to the Future Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi, and today I am joined by my amazing friend, Javier Glad. Javier is a co-founder and CEO of CADMakers. He is an amazing entrepreneur. I'm excited about having him on the show. If you guys could, give me a big warm welcome for Javier. Welcome to the show. So, Javier, welcome to the show. As always, I'm grateful that uh, uh, you got to jump on the, on the call with me, and I'm um, really excited about it. When we did our pre-call and really got into this, uh, the stuff that you're working on excites me. You know, it, it's really moving the industry forward dramatically, really been able to paint the picture for people, uh, for them to be able to see job sites in a much different way and projects in a much different way than ever before. But before we get into that, you know, I want to take a second and get to know you a little bit. What got you into this business? You know, where'd you start and kind of what got you excited and uh, know a little bit more about you yourself? Sure, that's great. Well, first of all, a tremendous honor to be on, on the pod with you and it's great to connect with you and very like-minded uh, kind of worldview, I think, in terms of uh, the impact construction can have and technology and construction and how it touches the lives of so many. It's such a big industry. So uh, how did I get started? So I, I have a weird meandering path. I uh, I was an average student, student athlete. I played uh, football, baseball, basketball kind of thing. And into university, I, I uh, again, I was focused on football and, and baseball at the time. And I ended up playing professionally football up here in Canada for a number of years. And uh, so I was a bit of a late bloomer. You know, I spent most of my 20s in tights running around doing dog piles every weekend and getting beat up for a living. So after a while, the headshots start to accumulate and I started wondering what I was going to do, with, grow up and get a real job and figure out what I was going to do with my life. So when I was uh, you know, around 30 or so, I, I went decided to go back to school and I had a real passion for real estate, construction, this kind of work, just because of uh, just through osmosis and meeting people in the, in the football world that were kind of in the construction and, and real estate development industry. So I interned for a year in a real estate development firm and um, well, I, kind of while I was doing my, just before my, my MBA. And then I, um, in that year, which I basically did for free, which was an amazing experience. I, I learned a lot. You know, I remember being in a trailer with a site superintendent on a very large project and, and we're over the drawings. It's, you know, 2011, 2012. I can't remember what year it was. And, uh, and, in, and he's explaining to us how these floating stair de- detail is not constructible, you know, for, for many technical reasons while we're trying to construct it. <laughs> so so it's, it's like, you know, the outside of the trailer, there's, you know, a mobile crane trying to install this thing. And, um, and, and I thought to myself, you know, I don't know enough yet to really make a conclusion here, but seems, seems, uh, uh, you know, like something we should try to flush out beforehand. Of course people do, and I'm not trying to speak, down. It's just it's challenging to, to connect design and engineering and construction and installation. 
fabrication installation. It's a challenging thing. But overall, that was kind of where the light bulb went off and said, hey, you know, if you can build things digitally first, you're going to probably have a better chance of success from the site perspective and work backwards. Or what's the problem trying to solve and work backwards? So I interned, worked at a couple of other, another place in big capital projects, understood what things cost, uh, understood some of the problems we were trying to solve. And then my, my co-founder, a uh, really smart engineer, he came up through kind of the technical side, worked for uh, a couple of places where he worked at for a famous architect in Los Angeles called Frank Gehry for a period of time and was doing kind of fancy high-end stuff there. And when we met in school, you know, I kind of had an idea of the problem we needed to solve. He had an idea of how to solve it in a unique way. And that was it. We decided to uh, leave our jobs and and give it a shot and got a storage locker and did the whole bootstrap thing and and um, just kind of snowballed from there, try to get a little bit better each day and and work on cool projects and that's where we are today. So the love of construction for me came from seeing others in my kind of sphere working in the construction world. Being on site for that first year was just magical. I loved going to site every time. I just loved it, walking the site, seeing that often the smartest, you know, most talented people in the room were the construction superintendents and the foremans that are on site figuring things out. And I just thought to myself, you know, if we could find a way to work closely with that, take that knowledge and that experience experience and help with digitize that if we could yeah it would it would be like a a lethal weapon you got all this practical site knowledge with this digital technology we're pretty good at computers how we connect the two right so that's kind of how it all started for us well that's awesome you you know i I, i've said it along since we've been able to get the bim modeling has really changed and really changing the way the future of the construction is happening so much so much faster than ever before. You know, uh, we did a rollout program a couple years ago with McDonald's. It was, you know, 6,500 store rollout program. And one of the hardest things was uh, understanding to go out and get scopes, to develop the scopes, right? So sending people to job sites, uh, you know, you, you'd have to send somewhere, somewhere around seven to 11 different teams of people to a job site just to get the scope. And that would be from the uh, architectural surveyor uh, to the to general contractors, subcontractors, operations teams, uh, you know, all of, all, all of the different vendors and coordinators that needed to go by and, and look at a job site just to get it scoped. And we realized something. We said, all right, if we can take a job site and bring it to them, it would dramatically change the experience, right? I mean, just think about the uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of tickets, airlines, Days, you know, I mean, to, to do a site meeting with uh, a general contractor, uh, all the subs, and, and a project manager, you may have a, a, a dozen people on site, and you figure at a thousand bucks a day per person, you know, just that alone. Plus, you know, that's your airline tickets and your hotel stays, just to be able to come in to look at a store for what may be a two-hour meeting. And what we were able to do was say, let's stop doing that. We took uh, the Matterport cameras. And we were able to go out and, and digitally look at the building, uh, photograph the building and create these fly throughs and take the job site and bring it to everybody. And it was the first time we'd ever done a massive rollout program. And it, 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 it dramatically changed the timing of the job site. So, so, you know, as that happened, you know, what you're working on is really helping that future vision, right? So that's getting everybody, you know, information about the current job site. Now, as we start to look forward, you know, the, the number one problem we have on job sites is getting our, our superintendents and our project managers to be able to paint the picture for the subcontractor that's going to show up. Or even more important, forget them. How about 
for the operations team to know what's happening. And your, your products of your software are able to take the job site and take those 2D plans and make them 3D where people can see through them kind of what they're going to look like when they're built. Yeah, I mean, it's like a couple of things that jump out at me when you're talking. Maybe that's why I've been drawn to construction. It's, it's quite a team sport. You know, and I grew up playing football. It's one of the ultimate team sports. I played all the sports, but football is a unique one in that you got, you know, 70 teammates. You know, there's not too many sports. We have such a big team and and you have many different specialist roles. You have, you know, some roles that are the stars, some roles that are the linemen never touch the ball, but they're actually very, very critical to the success of the team. And there's a lot of parallels to draw into construction and no different than, you know, if you were football fans here, how the game has evolved over time to more spread offenses and throwing the ball over the place and, 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 you know, having smaller players that were more nimble, being able to play with the big players, construction is going through a similar transformation, which is saying, do we have to, in the past, you know, stick build on site, figure it out on site with some smart people have done it before is, is the, was the lowest risk way to, to build a project. It may take longer. It may cost more, but a bit more, but these, as people start to trust technology in their everyday lives, it seems like there's this transition happening where people are starting to, like when we first started 2014, there was a lot of lack of trust in digital technologies, right? In contract documents, 2D drawings, this is what drives specs, this is what drives stuff, right? And people just had to think in 3D and think in 4D and understand these things. And I've seen a big shift in six, seven years to people trusting like and and lower tech folks right trusting the way to actually de-risk a project is not to do it on site stick build it's actually to build it first digitally verify it digitally integrate supply chain if you can digitally you mentioned operations is a great use case making sure people that are going to operate in the building or in the the finished product can access certain hatches and switches and things like this and how do you validate that right so no it's a it's a fantastic transition it's great to see that i know you got and you're building unique projects in that you have a mixture of engineer to order and some you know built-in situ type of interfaces which is the most complicated so you have some you know base building stuff that's got its own constraints and then you have fryers you know pre-made equipment coming that needs venting and they need specialized kind of requirements for access so this is where it gets really tricky we worked on a pool early in our life of, of, of this company and that was really an eye opener for me, right? It's like, wow, you you open a set, you order a sedimentation tank to be think, think about how to bring it in. You know, at what point should you bring this giant tank for the pool in? After you formed all the walls, poured the concrete, started installing doors, it no longer fits. Like the thinking, you know, it's a, it's, an, it's a different type of level of coordination that's required. And doing things digitally can really reduce that risk. So now I think the cat, we've crossed the chasm that you know, similar to aerospace, automotive, these types of things where they de-risk projects and product development with digital and like digital fabrication and building sand going directly to machines. So file the factory, this type of stuff. It's now becoming more and more pervasive in the construction industry, which is fantastic. No, for sure, that's the ultimate in being able to coordinate uh, all the different players. You know, I I find us in the the business that trust thing happens. You, You just get... This, you know, the, the, one of the biggest problems I see is that we, we're, we operate under this, what we call the lying program, right? Somewhere someone's got to lie to each other to get a job 
right? So for me to get a job, I got to go bid it. I could do it for $10. You could do it for $9. No, no, I can do it for $8. Somewhere along the way, someone's got to give you a little bit of BS that they're going to do the job. And then somewhere they're going to go figure out how to do it for that price, right? Because somewhere, you know, the right price was the price I bid it for originally, uh, you know, at, at 10 now someone's like, all right, I'm going to cut some margins because I wanted some McDonald's. It's a great brand to have under my flag. And then someone's going to come in and go, nope, I'm going to do it for eight because I really want, want this. And, and now I've got to figure it out. Now, in that may cause some great efficiencies, right? There may be some great opportunity at eight bucks for me to figure out how to be smarter, better at this. And hopefully they, they create the same product with, with quality, but figure out smarter ways of doing it. Now, the problem is that I have to start over again on the next project. The same team I had for the last project, I don't get on this project, right? You know, for 20 years now, we've been uh, building hotels. And 20 years ago, we, we would take a whole hotel room and we would take the entire room and we put it in a bundle and we slide the front window, uh, the front wall before we put the front the, the wall on. And we'd have the bed, the, the, the carpet, the nightstand, the, the, the sink, the, the bathroom sink and the fixtures and all the tile and all the stuff that goes in there. And we would save ourselves hundreds and hundreds of trips up and down the stairs. Right, this is we're talking going going back twenty plus years, right? I mean, we were we thought we were genius back then. We're like, oh my god, we're genius. And by Moore's law, today we should be building hotels in a week or in a weekend, right? I mean, we should double every every couple of years, and by today we'd be really rolling. But that's not true. Today we start over as if every brand that we work with starts anew, and we're lucky if we can carve four or five weeks off of a job because we're just a little smarter, but in the brands we work with uh, love that we go faster, but the other contractors they work with can't go faster. The vendors they work with don't commit to the timing. So inevitably we will be rolling on a project. Our team, you know, I, I can't, we turn over more stores where the operations team and vendors aren't ready and we don't care. I, I, I tell everybody, turn the store over, build it out, get it ready, let it sit there. And if it takes them, you know, another two weeks to get the equipment out there, still what happens is we want to be ahead of the game every single time, right? It's the behavior that we are. We stay in that fit condition, that project speed is the, is the game. And without having those tools that you're developing that where people can see it, you know, subs show up here. I, I'll give you a great example. What do you, when you, when I, when I tell you mobilization, right? What, what do you take mobilization as? From a construction term, typically setting up the site, you know, first okay. like you know, putting fencing, you know, putting lay down areas, figuring out where you're going to, you know, set up your site. That's what I know it as. So on my calendar, I have on my, on my schedule, I say mobilization. At the end of day one, what do you expect to have happen at the end of day one? Typically safety. So fencing, gate, maybe, I don't know, um, a trailer set up, potentially, uh, any, any, maybe a tank for ha- if there's any hazmat or anything. Else you. I don't know. I, I actually don't know right. after one day how far it would be, but something like that. Yeah. All right. So here, so the, 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 one of the biggest problems we have is that word is used on schedules every single day. And to you, it means that. To the subcontractor, it means, hey, I'm going to get all my gear over to the job site, but we're not going to do anything. I'll get my backhoe and my forms and my, my scaffolding. I'll get it over the job site, but we're not going to do anything with it. And I mean, to another group, it may mean uh, digging footings and foundations and getting started uh, in the morning. So the, the way that we communicate leaves this nebulous space. With tools like yours, where we can start to paint the picture and go, today, here's what we're doing. We're going to dig this trench. 
I'm going to need, you know, three operators for uh, backhoe equipment. I, I need them to bring these three operators in. They're going to dig the dirt out and be able to pilot over here. Because if you pilot on this side, the guys who are doing the underground plumbing won't be able to start working on the underground plumbing on the inside of the building if I put if I pilot on the inside. If I, if I, if I pilot on the outside of the building, me and my guys that come in with scaffolding or the work that's happening next won't be able to operate. So knowing how we operate on a job site affects all the other people that are out there, right? So uh, I think as Javier, as, we, as you and I start to be able to paint the picture a little bit more, right? Operations can see what they're getting. And then we can start to communicate to the subcontractors what we're looking for you to do. Uh, you know, that's where I felt like your software did a, such a great job of being able to say, hey, here's what we want to get done. And on day one, I want to be able to have this going. We're going to work on this section. And you can start to highlight that section and bring the tools and techniques to get that to happen. Yeah, so Early on in our company, we were fortunate to work on this project. And one thing you said really resonated with me around basically for better or worse is you're only as fast as your weakest link, you know, in construction, meaning if you have, uh, especially when you start getting into say concrete, you know, cast in place, concrete, high rises, it's pretty optimized. You know, you, you know, this there's, there's only concrete only cures as fast as the chemistry will allow you to go. So it really comes down to cycle times of trades. And we worked on this project. It was the, at the time a very innovative kind of high, it's like mass timber, heavy timber, cross laminated timber project blue lamb columns and uh, timbers and mass timber slabs and then prefabricated panel envelope. So we, you know, we did a lot of work helping with digital, you know, digital delivery on this to break the fabrication, lots of integration, lots of simulation of different processes, work scopes, as you mentioned in the trailer, working through a, essentially a rehearsal of the build. And then what happened, you know, a bunch of prefabrication happened, a bunch of automated means happened, yet the steel stud was still done kind of stick build on site. And which is great learning for us. And, you know, it's hard to know if there's a better way to do these things. It's not a perfect science. But one learning I took from that is, you know, if we were to do this again, we would actually look at the longest time, operational time. So, you know, things like stick buildings, you know, uh, steel stud walls for inter internal demising walls and saying, OK, well, what can we do to automate that process? Because you can only go, we could do two, three, four, two and a half floors a week in theory, plumbing risers, uh, you, know, you know, primary structure and facade. But then, you know, the whole thing grinds not because you're waiting for the framer. And, and so, and, and as a team, you know, when you're basically a general contractor, construction manager, superintendent, you're basically just an, uh, an orchestrator at a, you know, at the orchestra, you know, they just say you, 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 you. And then, you know, if you realize you get to an operation that's going to just throw everyone off, you know, that's that type of foresight to look around the corners is really useful. And that's where a lot of the technology we're trying to build is, is helpful for that. It's, you know, there's no perfect silver bullet, but as much as you can practice and simulate and try think and communicate better, collaborate with many people better, get buy-in from them, you know, you're going to have a better time on the construction site when it goes to go live, right? And, and from what I learned in my past life, 85 to 90% sometimes of the costs on these jobs are hard, meaning spending it in construction, the soft cost, the design, the engineering, and the total cost. And if you look at operations, I mean, it's, it's even less. It's, you know, most of the cost goes into building it. Let's work on that side, right? Let's really focus on that side because that's where you're spending all your money. You know, you can see very quickly where your point about the, the, the inefficiencies of, of scheduling, right? You know, if, if I show up with a crew of, of five people and I can't work, you know, I, it just, just happened. I, I was down in Atlanta and uh, as I'm flying in, my flight's delayed because of a rainstorm. I get into Atlanta and I have a job site meeting with 
with uh, one of our guys that's, uh, you know, one of our, our clients is getting ready to turn over. Landscapers are going to be the morning finishing up some landscaping. And I get to the job site and there are five or seven guys that are all standing around doing nothing. And I'm like, well, why are these guys standing around? And, and you could see that the job site was flooded, right? And the landscaper had showed up to do landscaping. And so the night before, there was a torrential storm. And the problem we had was that job site, now it sent the landscaper sent out his entire crew to that job site and there was nothing going on. They couldn't work, it's red clay, it's mud. They'd get the backhoes out there, they just would have dug grooves into the ground. It never would have worked. And instead of someone saying, hey, maybe we should call these people off, right? That our business doesn't do that. Guys don't think that way. They, they figured, oh, I'm scheduled, I gotta go down there it might've made sense for that guy to send his crew to the shop, send his crew somewhere else where he might be more effective, where he's not in the middle of a red clay mud field and uh, they're not going to be able to operate. Now that owner of that business is paying. And I said, that's what I said to our super. I said to our super, I said, Hey, super, you know, send these guys back to their shop, right? Do the owner of that company a favor today and help him, you know, have his crew go do something else. today rather than staying around here, you know, and being ineffective and, as we start to look at the technologies that are coming, you know, uh, I did a podcast earlier today with an AI expert that's really working on uh, integrating. You know, right now there are uh, multiple different platforms that everybody's working on. You're working on telling the story, the digital story of what it's going to look like in the future, right? And your platform is really creating that visualization of a 2D drawing and showing what it looks like in the future. There's other groups that are working on. On, on, on mapping software, other groups that are working on weather software. There are other groups that are working on you know, Autodesk is taking Revit and it's taking the set of plans and, and breaking them down into little tiny nuances, right? To uh, be able to look at a wall and look at the drywall, the drywall mud, the paint, the, the screws that hold the drywall in, the drywall pieces, the metal studs, the screw that hold the metal studs together, the track and the bottom track and the top track. And instead of just being a line on a drawing, now these are individual components. And I can now order from those components. I can now have deliveries based on the ordering from those components. I can place them on a job site where I need them. I can do predictive guessing based on schedule and past performance of employees as to how much I need on a job site so I'm not clogging up a job site. And I can also take in consideration what's happening with the weather. Right. If, if I'm looking at uh, my schedule and I realize, hey, my weather forecast shows that it's going to rain for the next three days and I'm scheduled to do outside siding, I may not want to have it all delivered uh, today because uh, it looks like it's going to rain for the next three days. And being able to make those adjustments and get a lot more streamlined, I think, ultimately makes each of the companies way more effective and makes it more makes it you know much better cost uh, profile for them. Absolutely, and and that should be the goal ultimately is driving a, a, a you know efficient or taking out inefficiencies of the business, utilization rates, getting those up, using technology to solve real world problems. There's a lot of you know um, unfortunately tech, especially as construction has evolved, there's there has been some technology. In, in search of a problem to solve, right? <laughs> so, you know, what we're, you know, you got this new tech, let's go find a problem to solve in construction, right? Let's do that. 
but you know, we're very passionate around work going the other way around. Like, well, what's the problem that we're trying to solve and build technology to solve this? And and one thing I, I it's become very evident to us is you know this kind of concept of this digital simulation um, uh, and, and and how that can drive things. And you know, for for us, it was really a, you know um, affected by being fortunate enough to work with Tesla for many years. So one of our first big customers on our services side was uh, was the Tesla Model 3 team, and we were pretty heavily involved there. And and what what I learned from this is a couple of like really foundational things that's driving our our, our key products in Builder.io at this point. One was that. You know, it, 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 this idea of can you build a digital twin of something, right? And and what does the factory look like? Well, factories started going into this digital twin concept quite some time ago. Whether it's connecting in the physical world and digital world, not yet. But it was lots of lots of automated, you know, machinery coming into a building, you know, process simulate, you know, simulation driving, you know, uh, inputs and outputs of actual. Uh, you know, physical machines and humans working together in a factory, right? And so this is a closed environment, you know, this car is getting built very automated way. So that was a really interesting learning, like how the factory has evolved. They have things like PLCs, which is like a brain essentially of a factory that says, okay, if I build this car up and it's got 80, 90 stations, it, it, you know, it, it, there's a sensors and there's a process which it goes through to build the product. You know, moves from one station to the other, triggers something, goes to the other. So that, so that kind of was interesting to me. And the other side of it was this kind of idea that the car would just get better every, you know, the over-the-air update, right? And you just, the car, you go to sleep at night, you wake up the next day because it's connected to the internet, it just got better. Right? You, you update the car, it goes faster, it drives longer, the battery technology is better. It's like, this is just baffling. And, you know, for construction, when we sell it to sell, to solve the problem of kind of construction simulation, we looked at the future and worked backwards. So we said, okay, Anthony, actually the jobs that you do, this is a great opportunity because you know we're starting to see like backhoes and, and different types of graders and some, some types of small cranes become either autonomous or semi-autonomous, meaning someone's out, not actually inside the machine running it, right? They're running it from outside the machine or yeah, like Dusty Robotics are doing a wall layout uh, robot, which is using computer vision or seam tracking and actually working on its own, you know, based on, you know, so driven from a CAD model or something else. But this idea is happening, right? So so this, as the construction site evolves into prefabrication, semi-autonomous and autonomous machines, in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, it's going to be like the factory at, I saw at Tesla. You got all these robots working with humans in one cell, then it moved things moving across pneumatic systems and all these different types of systems. Well, the construction site, which has been mostly manual for many years, you know, some automated machines, hoists and things like that, but humans are running them. And there's lots of humans on site doing the work. As that changes, it kind of occurred to us that, well, wait a second, you're going to need like a brain of the construction site. This is going to need to come. And 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 how, that brain is going to need to be in the cloud, meaning you are going to need to be able to connect through sensors, IoT, this type of things to the physical world. So it's gonna to have to be web-based or like in, in, internet enabled. And then what I learned in my in, in, the, in the manufacturing world is you never start anything without a model. <laughs> so you've modeled it first, you've flushed it all, you have bill materials, got all this stuff. That's what drove, drove the, the productivity increases in the manufacturing world. So long-term Anthony, we, I, I believe in 15 years, that's where construction will be, um, especially on larger, more complicated sites. So you have this uh, need for a model-based, web-enabled, internet-enabled engine that can act like a brain. And the first thing that all these autonomous companies do uh, is they simulate. 
So like, let's say you're doing self-driving, they train and train and train deep neural nets on synthetic data and they simulate uh, in almost like a gaming environment first so that the, you get trained on that and you go into the physical world and, and, and things look similar and, and, the, and the physical world can adapt. So what we're trying to do is step one of that, which is build a simulation engine. You know, it's, it's, it has to be 100% web-based. It has to be accessible for everyone. Meaning, Anthony, I don't want you to have to have two or three ninjas on your company that does everything for everyone. Can your superintendents, your project managers, your project coordinators, maybe low-techy folks run this engine? Because they're the ones making the decision. So how do we make it accessible? How do you allow someone to digitally simulate your project first? And how can you drive a better outcome you know, when you go to build a project? That's step one. Step two, which is much, or step maybe five, is much later is like, once you've simulated this, you flush it all out digitally, how can you push the outputs of that and connect it to the physical world? And actually the crane is being moved based on a schedule, based on inputs and outputs that you've already simulated. And you've, you've done your best. It's not going to be perfect, but you've done your best to validate that all those picks are going to be working and the timings are going to be working. How long is it from pick to place? How many resources are at the place? You know, and, and strong parts. You can simulate this and get good tack times or, or times to do this. So that's the engine we intend. We're starting to build now. We've learned that through automation, that the speed by which we can make adjustments is dramatically faster. Yeah, we, we've, we've seen it in space flight. We've seen it been able to in engine controls. We've seen it with with uh, with the automated vehicles that are out there. Uh, you know, I, I love my te- I love Tesla. I love it. I love my Tesla. I love driving it. I love when I go down there and I see I've got an update or an update on the horizon coming at me. You know, I can't wait to see what the next thing is. And when they added my car can fart, I thought that was. <laughs> I thought my kids it- like that one. Yeah, I thought when it, when it could when it could enter and exit the highway, I thought, all right, great. And I look, I look forward to a day when I never have to adjust it. I never have to drive, right? I could I could sit back and do what I need to do while while in the vehicle, and you know, it's able to control make make hundreds of thousands of control decisions way faster than I ever could. And I think that's the part that is going to really revolutionize the speed by which you're doing it. You know, you predict 15 years out there. I I don't see that that being that long. I see that what's happening, you know, people I'm talking to today are in the next three to five years, a dramatic change in in the uh, equipment that's going to operate job sites. You know, uh, uh, I just did a podcast with a guy that's printing a home every 40 hours, right? They're 3D printing these homes. They're printing them at $4,700 a piece. The change... You know, in, in the in the materials that they're using are revolutionary. Uh, they're they're still working on catching up with the codes, code compliance. And I think that's that's probably the thing that's uh, slowing it down the most is uh, you know local adaptation to code compliance. And uh, you know, again, we are slowing it down. Uh, it's able to make those adjustments so much faster. Micro sensitivity to each and every one of the adjustments, and it's like different than you and I where. I can make a couple of them, but I get worn out after a few. I might be able to make a couple dozen or, you know, a, a hundred or 150 of them. But at some point, I'm at a max capacity uh, to make continuous adjustments just because of fatigue. And as you look at these systems that are being operated, you can see where, you know, construction could happen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it can make adjustments based on product availability, manpower availability, weather conditions, dry times, so, uh, product specifications, 
all the things that uh, you and I are continuously ebb and tiding for. But by the time we make these decisions, it's, it's having multiple effects uh, continuously where they're able to make those decisions just like your software. It's able to see them and make those adjustments to schedules uh, before impacts, which I think ultimately will make it that much faster. It's an awesome conversation. We're seeing that happen. Javier, I think that uh, the work that you and your, your crew are doing are, is, is revolutionary. It, it really does paint the picture for the entire team to operate on one platform and see it better. And as that gets smarter, you can see how that uh, it can break down that scope. You know, right now it's painting pictures of what the product looks like. But as it starts to take the 3D AutoCAD drawing into Revit and, and, and find the parts and pieces of it, and then start to do the scoping of each of, of the development of the pro- project from the schedule and manpower requirements, you can see very quickly how uh, we can make adjustments right over to the field of, all right, do I, do I need five plumbers on site uh, this week or seven? And based on, hey, we're going to have a weather front come through. Uh, we're not going to use the guys that are out digging the dirt, putting the plumbing in. We can use the guys that are in the building. Great. We'll be able to make micro adjustments and, and take those crews and put them in other places that will be more effective. So what's coming really excites me, right? And uh, you guys are on that, uh, on that leading tip of development of software. And, uh, you know, I, Javier, I, I, I love what we're doing with this conversation. I love where we're going with it. Uh, as you continue to, to develop it, I would like to see uh, uh, more and more uh, of your input. So uh, I'd, I'd, love to have, I'd love to have you on the show again and continue to talk about uh, your, your latest, greatest developments of the product. That's great. No, it's a real, I mean, we're on the right track, I think. And, and a lot of what you just said, there's a couple things that hit me. Um, one is uh, just to kind of wrap up from my perspective, uh, and I'll pontificate a little bit in the future, but right now we're in our product development roadmap, we're focused on pre-construction because, you know, having a good plan pays back, you know, 10 X uh, in the construction site. Often I'm sure you don't get enough time to do proper planning because the owner doesn't give you enough time, but, uh, but you know, that's why we got to make things fast and easy to use. But right now we're focusing on, on the, on the pre-construction side and simulation side and temporary resources. But what you just hit on was really, really uh, powerful. And this kind of idea of, of uh, dynamic rebalancing. So we didn't get that shipment. What's the next best, what's the next highest best use of time for a certain resource because of that, right? And so the engine we're trying to build is like an operating system. So if you think about it, uh, you know, if you're building a, a, an eight story building level one goes before level two columns, we go before beams, beams go before panels and slabs, et cetera. So there's a logic. And then, you know, depending on what that element is, you mentioned parts and pieces coming out of the model, everything's model driven. Once you know what that part is, you know what types of available resources are there to install that piece. Is it a spider crane? Is it a human? If it's less than X pounds, it's a human. If it's greater than a pound, it's a spider crane. If it's greater than that, it's a tower crane, so on and so forth. And when you start adding those up, you can run different simulations. Say, oh, I thought I was getting this package of, of materials and it's been delayed by a week. What's the next best use of the resources we have coming on time? Okay, well, let's move them over to the north side of the site and work on these other operations, right? So simulating that and doing rebalancing in the construction phase is a big, is a big focus for us in the future. And it's really, I think, going to be drive a lot of things. And the last thing I wanted to say before the, the 3D printing of the house, that was actually our technically our company. We were focused on 3D printing at the beginning. We pivoted to the digital side, but the 
it's really fascinating the material science side of things. I think it's just so much biomimicry and these types of uh, approaches. So it's 3D printing the house, but then it's using the different types of lattice structures of the of the of the actual material to make it stronger relative to its weight, which will allow you to even go cheaper and faster on site. And I think material science is just in a, is it's just dramatically transformed aerospace and other industries with composite technology, et cetera. And we haven't even scraped the surface of this in the construction industry. So it's really fine and that we're not in that world, but I just, I sit back with my popcorn ready, hoping to see the DuPonts of the yeah. world and the folks of the world innovating on the material science side so that we can, you know, can give you go even faster on site and, and have better, more sustainable solutions that are easier to install and have a longer life cycle, all that kind of good stuff. So I'm glad you brought those things up because those are things that are really exciting as well. Well, Javier, as we sit back and we eat some popcorn and watch this stuff evolve, <laughs> um, you know, you, look, it's always very interesting to get you. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best place for them to uh, reach out and catch you? Yeah, so you can just, uh, I'm on pretty active on LinkedIn. In. Um, so you can just message me there. Uh, our product cmbuilder.io. Go check out cmbuilder.io. That's probably the best way. Uh, my email is javier at cadmakers.com. Email me if you want. But it's uh, it's always great to collaborate, and uh, and I really appreciate this opportunity to connect with you and talk about two things. Obviously, we're both passionate about Javier. I'm so grateful, brother, to have you on the on the podcast. I look forward to us uh, doing this again. And uh, thanks for uh, for coming on board. Fantastic. Thanks, Anthony. Take care. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Monategi, always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.